I believe with every fibre of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. What has been achieved today is not Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively. Brexit is a lose-lose situation. We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy. Hello and welcome to Brexit The Final Countdown. We have two days until we're out. Well, in name at least. Uh, it's taken three and a half years, but my God, it's happening. Celebrating with me this week is express.co.uk firebrand Paul Baldwin. Hello. And your editor Joe Barnes. Hello. Hello, I'm the thinking man's Angelina Jolie and cross-stitch enthusiast Becca Hudson. And let's begin. <laughs> Well, just go back to the cross-stitch thing again. <laughs> before we start. So I'm we clear glad that, that you didn't off. dispute the thinking man's Angina Jolie. Well, that was point number two, but that was the cross-stitch Wait, one. Wait, I think we're just nodding in enthusiasm okay, to both right. of those. Um, okay, we're in Brussels because it's the last plenary, um, and today is the official formal approval of the withdrawal agreement. Um, Joe Barnes, what is, what's the mood music? They are walking around like... Um, Kind of, they're elated. I've never, I, I make the joke later, but I've never seen a, a group of people so happy to lose their jobs. On the <laughs> okay. contrary, we have the the, the Remain backers, yeah. um, so the Labour Party, the Liberal Democrats. They're obviously sad, and um, we're going to likely see some tears from them. There's going, I think, there'll be some exchanging of words. I mean, it could get quite hostile later. Um, I think because uh, there's some gen- genuine anger from that kind of side that they've they've lost, and it's their last chance to kind of vent frustration before we. They kind of witness reality and see us actually leave the uh, exit door for the last time on Friday. Now, there's um for the for the MEPs who are leaving, there's uh, and losing their jobs, which is terrible. But there's a little bit of easing of that uh, traumatic wrench. I think. How much is it, Joe? Um, so they do receive a payoff. Um, those <laughs> that's what I was getting worked, at. Uh, those who have worked for five years or more um, will receive around forty thousand pounds. Okay. But um, um, up to people who have served for 20 years, like Nigel Farage, yeah. he is in line for around 150 grand. That's kind of nice work if you can't get said, it, you know. <laughs> yeah, but quite nobly he said that he would not take the money and he's going to basically leave it in European accounts because he doesn't believe in it. Okay, yeah. well, quite a decent thing, I in- guess. Incredibly principled. Yeah. Um, you've touched on the sort of melancholy nature of some of this. Um, I'm sure you've been following the Green MEP from Germany, Terry Reitke. Um, who is keen to leave a light on for Britain or at least Scotland because she hopes that um, we will be returning to the EU at some point. Um, and, of course, there'll also be a rousing chorus of old land sign um, <laughs> as as we leave this afternoon, which, Joe, I assume you'll be joining in. Um, I don't actually know the words. So I believe no it's one a does. Kind of a New Year's, I just think you need to get drunk. Song, isn't it? Kind of. With a bit of gusto. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah yeah, this is a big, this is a big and exciting day, um, and it does feel like there's going to be more fanfare over in Brussels uh, than there is going to be here on Friday the thirty first. Um, I'm sure you've both been following the slightly disappointing mm. response from the government um, from Brexiteers and and maybe some Remainers alike who'd like to mark the thirty first with a bit of ceremony. Obviously, the the Big Ben will not be chiming. One would have thought um, that there would be more fanfare uh, this, and and it's not kind of you know. Celebration is the more, or, um, but you, it's a massive deal. Is this serious? Yeah, it would. You know, it's, it's a 
it's a major turning stone in, in kind of British history in the 21st century. Absolutely. And and it's just kind of, it feels a bit damp squib now we've got there. No, it really does. Did you also know that also there's going to be a party in Westminster uh, Parliament Square tomorrow evening with the likes of Tim Martin, Julia Hartley Brewer, Brexit Party MEPs, Nigel Farage, Richard Tyson, Anne Whittacombe, the three notorious fire starters, yeah. uh, mega fun party ravers. Um, Westminster Council, it's a controlled drinking zone, so you can't drink. So it's going to be a pretty sober affair, isn't so, it? It's, it's an unofficial party, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, it's, there's nothing kind of laid on. And, 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 you know, I think we're all conscious of triumphalism and blah, 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 and it's been a very divisive three years. Mm. But it is a thing that we are doing. Yeah. And it is a big thing, and you feel like it should be marked. No, I completely you know? agree. Um I also we yesterday we were all witness to Terry Christian previously of the word yes. yes of the word who was on GMB who was who was kind of being incro- crowing an awful lot about uh, Brexit voters saying and was sort of talking were defending that tweet that got deleted that he had written about how uh, Brexiteers and their families deserve to be unemployed and that he'll be and he'll be buying a big issue from people who voted for Brexit and that they Brexit that we de- you know that they deserve uh, economic misfortune. Um, there's also been, was it Lord Adonis who said he's going to give his 50p's to the home? I mean, what's <laughs> there were, it, it's a, the uh, the Remainers who tried to spoil the. There was going to be a party at Dover, um, you know, kind of marking the, the occasion, and the Remainers were um, sort of projecting an EU flag on the White Cliffs. Mm. The um, legality of which we're looking at, actually, um, one of my reporters is looking at, but it just seems you like could do, oh, we could get do you over yourself, Gay or Porter style on the House <laughs> of Commons. Yeah, could you sort of draped in a well union track. <laughs> That would, make, that just, would lead to even more clever erosion. So, it just seems so mean-spirited and kind of mealy-mouthed yeah, at this stage of the game. I completely agree. You know. I, will you be spending 12 quid on a Got Brexit Done tea towel that the Tories are now selling? I'm, I I, you know what? I, I might well do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a nice <laughs> addition to your one of your four and kitchens. I, w- I am going down to um, the House of Parliament on Friday just... Mm-hmm. just just out of journalistic nosiness, just to see what's going see on. See what it's like. Yeah. I think I'm with you. I think regardless of what side of the debate you're on, yeah. you can't deny that this is a really significant yeah. milestone. And to not mark it in any way just feels a little bit apologetic. And, um, you know, we've committed to this decision now, so maybe we should just have had a bit of a party. I think it, um, it's, it's it's sort of indicative to me of, of the, the way that it is a damp squib is, um, is indicative of something I've noticed recently. Well, I was talking to a friend in the pub last night and um, he was saying, where's Boris been since he was elected? Mm-hmm. He's, he's done nothing. He's disappeared. He's become invisible. Yeah. And, and, I, had, and I thought, you're absolutely right. Um, he should be. This, this, I was, you know, it's, it is a major, major turning point in, in you know, the 21st century British history. And he should be. And we need. And it's a, it's a kind of, it's been a tumultuous three years, the divisive three years, the difficult three years, Kind of an exciting three years as well, but you, what you need is, in, in my mind, there's, it, there's like, have you ever seen that picture of liberty leading the people? Yeah. In the Louvre, right? That's the kind of thing we need to go for. We want, we want somebody to get hold of that and, and sort of be inspiring and courageous. Yeah. And, and, and we've seen nothing. We've yeah, seen you're completely It's right. more like words wally. <laughs> you know, it's like where no. the hell is Boris? He, I mean, and he was, you know, we all know he's like, he is this like great orator. He does have this like incredible power to persuade. We saw it during the Leave Absolutely, campaign yeah, and we yeah. saw during the recent election ref- uh, election campaign. Uh, yeah, he has gone very quiet on this. If, and if you, uh, yeah, why? Well, if you if you if you look at we were saying this last night in the pub, right? If you th- what's he done since he got? I wasn't invited know. to the pub. You I'm see, sorry, so I don't I don't know what <laughs> okay, you were saying right. last night in the pub. We we were saying is. that he's he's gone on holiday. 
He did. Uh, while the rest of the world or the Middle East certainly was on the cusp of a major conflict. Mm. He was on the sun lounger with Estella. Uh, and he, his 30-year-old girlfriend. And his 30-year-old <laughs> girlfriend. Uh, he has gone very sketchy on uh, the fishing industry and the plans. That Where that is going to end up, we do not know. When, when there's a lot of crowing this morning about taking back our waters. But there's a big in brackets but we'll be selling them back pretty soon. And the fishermen are not happy about that. And I suspect a lot of Brexiteers are not happy about Absolutely. that. Absolutely not. I mean, this is the, these are the Varadka quotes, right, that he yeah, was yeah. saying that the UK going to have to be prepared to make some concessions yeah, absolutely. involving fisheries, potentially, probably, definitely, yes, yeah. um, to achieve a trade deal. Joe, has there been much chatter about that over in Brussels? Just, just, just to kind of, kind of downplay this, this, is a, this uh, European Parliament vote is a great spectacle. It's great for like good line, for this and firebrand comments. In the grand scheme of things, um, it's not that important. So today, Sir Tim Barrow, the UK's ambassador to the EU, actually delivered the Foreign Office uh, instrument that shows the deal was ratified in the UK. And if the European Parliament was to say no um, and reject, which it won't, um, it wouldn't matter. We'd, we're still we're still leaving. So. It's really kind of insignificant here, but what they are doing is they've been teeing up the negotiating strategy, and as we've mentioned, that part of that is that we are going to have to tie in fisheries and have a direct link with the future trade deal. So fisheries is going to have to be involved in that, and they are working out yeah. what rooms and demands they can make. Um, as we I think talk. if I was a fisherman, though, who'd been campaigning for this for three years, I'd be feeling a little bit let down right now. I feel like it's a bargaining chip rather than a point of principle. Yeah, no, it's a, what, what I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a bargaining chip, and I think that they're going to be quite upset. But what Boris is saying, much like Norway has, that we will be the sovereign kind of rulers of our water, and we will make a decision who enters it. So while the EU currently makes a decision, we take back that control. But who's to say that it's not going to be given away as part of some sort of wider deal? Um, so that, that's, I guess, where the anger's coming from, but... How, how do we stop? How, how, how do so Nigel Farage has a, a press conference and promised to stay on the battlefield? He's not going to vacate. Um, he's going to keep Boris's feet to the fire um, unless he delivers his manifesto pledges. But how does he do that with, when there's a government in Westminster with an 80 majority? I think that's a massive question. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how those kind of how these Brexit campaigners now kind of organise themselves to provide pressure to Boris because he's kind of immune from it. You know, this isn't the same as the very slim, aka no majority that the, the Tories had last year. He's now, like you say, got 80 seats. The Brexit party is null and void. I, I hope he doesn't uh, think that he's Teflon. Uh, but you could have, you could yeah. But you can see why he does think that, right? In, in parliamentary terms, yeah. But in court of public opinion terms, you know, we um, we want to be impressed, and right now we're not. Uh, last night, um, the the uh, divorce agreement was signed. You know, by Dominique Raab. Why wasn't it signed by the Prime Minister mm, of Great Britain? Yeah, it should have been like a Yalta conference moment. That just being bad, he just doesn't seem to be there on top of it, leading from the front. It doesn't feel like he's leading from the front. I feel like Boris Johnson's going to be on the receiving end of some of your fiery columns. Probably now, through the power of magic, we're going to insert a conversation that we had earlier while you were still, Paul Baldwin, on the train in, I imagine, <laughs> um, or recovering from this pub session that you had last night that I was NFI to, because um, we spoke to um, outgoing Brexit MEP for the South of England, Alex Phillips, okay. um, who I think that'll be nicely tie off this segment, and then we're ready to get the Huawei treatment from okay. you.
So it's a very, very big day for Brexit watchers as MEPs gather in Brussels today to formally approve the withdrawal agreement. It's only taken us three and a half years. And to commemorate this big day, um, I'm delighted to be joined by the Brexit Party MEP for South East England, Alex Phillips. Hello. Hello. A husky, uh, thoroughly partied out Brexit Party MEP, which is what we like to hear. Yeah, I've been putting the party into Brexit party. <laughs> Fabulous. And hopefully you are joined by our Europe editor, Joe Barnes. Uh, yep. Hello. Hello. And you are not husky from going out, I think you have to say. Um, I was I was in bed by 1am last night um, and I only had two beers. That still sounds very late. Okay, so guys, um, it's it's the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning. Um, what is the mood like um, over there today in Brussels um, as... Uh, all kind of British MEPs make their way to, to Brussels for the last time. I want to know what it's like. Well, so far, it just seems like business as usual. I think it's still too early in the morning. Um, I saw a bit of a green thing going on outside Parliament, a sort of, you know, virtue signalling, lovey-dovey, we're so sad to be leaving oh, no. um, photo call. But uh, I think it's going to be quite lively in chamber today. I'm looking forward to it. We, we, we've seen a um, uh, big shout-out to the Lib Dems, Chris Davis, who last night said he cried when leaving the Parliament and said he loves the building and everything, which was quite amusing. Wow, because this is some really beautiful, brutalist architecture. (laughs) (laughs) Of all the things that you could say he loves, the building's probably not one of them. No, I I wouldn't say that. Oh, God, so a fair amount of um, Remainer tears over there, then. Yeah, I think think we're going to get the full-blown histrionics, probably, during the debate and afterwards. I've heard that there's going to be the SNP having some sort of thing going on and a German MEP is going to sing Old Lang Syne and, I don't know, Diva Hofstadt's going to be in full flow, Nigel will be in full flow. I bet there's going to be a whole... It's going to be the parade, basically. Yeah, well, I'm glad someone's kind of commemorating this because over here, you know, there's, you would be very aware of the debates around we can't even get um, Big Ben to chime on the 31st of Jan. You know, everyone's kind of been quite sneery about the 50p commemorative coins. You know, we're... It sort of, it, when you're sort of trying to sort of create a bit of fanfare about this, it's sort of falling a bit flat. So I'm glad to hear that um, the people over in Brussels are are taking this seriously. Alex, what do you think about all these um, debates about the various like acts of commemoration on the 31st of January? Oh, just yeah, get on and enjoy it, everyone. You know, I'll tell you what. When Brexit's a massive success in about two years' time, you won't be able to find a single person who admitted to voting Remain. <laughs> but they're all at the moment, aren't they? Moaning about this, moaning about that. I'm not going to use this coin. And I oh, just grow up. You know, this is happening. It's a major chapter in the UK's history. And what I don't understand is, you know, Brexit gives us the opportunity to be the sole authors of our own destiny. And there's so much you can do with that. It's basically a step towards limitless opportunity. So all these naysayers and detractors and whiners and moaners, they just need to get over themselves. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to the right people. That's, I think that's kind of what we've been saying for sort of three and a half years or so on this podcast. Um, yeah. so, but so what happens next to so the Brexit, like all the energy um, of the Brexit party, like where, it's a bit like, um, you know, like dark matter, like you can't ever really get rid of it. Like where, what happens, what are you going to do next? What would you like to see happen to the Brexit party um, after the 31st of Jan? Well, look, in theory, I hope that the Brexit party never has to come back, because if it comes back, it means Brexit's gone horribly wrong and Boris Johnson's not sticking to his word. But I think that we're all going to stay very closely connected. We'll still meet up on a regular basis. We've already got a plan for our first get-together in March. That's only about six weeks' time. We're all going to pine for each other, that's for sure, apart from a few who sloped off to the Conservative Party. and They weren't really, I wouldn't say, sort of part of the familial infrastructure anyway. 
um, the rest of us are a really closely knit group. We actually really enjoy each other's company. We were all out for dinner together last night. We're having another dinner together tonight. On Thursday, I'm having a big house party. Everyone's coming over to my gaff. Friday, we've got our big Parliament Square do, and then an after party. So we can't get enough of each other. So I think it's going to be a bit of a shock to the system next week yeah. when we realise there's no future work we're doing together. It's kind of like- the end of friends like you got you know like um you guys have been a massive part of each other's lives for so long and then suddenly the series ends and you've got to kind of go off and do your own spin-offs well yeah you could say the brexit party is a spin-off of ukip perhaps yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the next manifestation is going to be but like i said actually if you're a real conviction brexiteer and a true ideologue you wouldn't want the brexit party to have to come back you'd hope that it would be dead and buried yeah you are the turkeys that, that voted for christmas <laughs> the brexit party does still have a role to play in keeping kind of the feet to the fire um, of Boris Johnson. Is he going to live for the Brexit that you want and what people voted for? So are you going to stay politically active or is it just going to be a friendship group? Uh, it's really hard to say at the moment. The difficulty is, of course, as you well know, that um, the negotiations are going to begin in earnest in March, but there's not going to be a single body inside the European Parliament or inside the Commission or the Council to, to monitor how those things are going. So the sort of glimpses we're going to get under the bonnet as uh, we roll towards the end of transition might be few and far between. So I don't quite understand yet how we're going to be able to keep the pressure on. But of course, I think Boris Johnson knows that the spectre of the Brexit party will haunt him for the rest of his tenure unless he really does deliver on Brexit wholly, completely and earnestly. Mm. I wonder, um, you've seen that you are very aware, no doubt, of this leaked document which has shown that the kind of the EU have got plans to kind of insist that the um, EU judges will continue to have power to rule on any post-Brexit agreements with the UK. So that would cover things like security, our trade deal, our fishing. I mean, is this kind of alarm bells to you? Well, the, the, the biggest alarm bells are littered throughout the political declaration, which really hasn't got much coverage. In fact, Boris Johnson's brand new renegotiated withdrawal agreement barely got uh, any mention during the general election, which was all about um, getting Brexit done, which is quite hilarious, because anyone who's been following this closely on the inside knows that it's Theresa May's deal with lipstick on, and there are huge perils contained therein. And the political declaration, for example, the EU's red lines on any future negotiations. They want to have full access to our waters. I think about 24% of that, yeah, 25% of the EU's fish stocks come from UK waters. They want the European judges to still run everything. They want us to stay in step with um, foreign policy. They want this so-called level playing field, which, as innocuous as it sounds, is deeply dangerous because it would tie us into things like tax harmonisation. Um, so. The difficulty is, of course, Boris Johnson is very good at having two faces. He, we saw when he was um, gunning to be leader of the party, he was saying one thing to remain as I won't go for a hard Brexit and saying quite the other to members of the ERG. And so Boris has got track record, really, on saying one thing and doing another. And at the moment, he's making all the right noises. But like I said, we're not going to really know what's going on until, I suppose, March developing onwards to the end of the year. Um, and how, we, how, how are we going to know if he's sticking to those pledges until it's too late, really? So it's going to be a difficult year. We've got to somehow maintain intelligence over here, this side of the channel. 
And yeah, somehow try and keep the political pressure uh, piling on top of him. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting that you mentioned that because um, you'll no doubt be aware of um, June Mummery, um, one of your colleagues who kind of went viral last week when she was, you know, sort of bemoaning the fact that there wouldn't be, uh, you know, kind of British MEPs, British voices in the room now to kind of represent uh, the interests of British water. Obviously, that's the point of, of Brexit. Completely wrongly spun by Remainers who were calling her stupid for saying, oh, it's disappointing after the EU, there won't be representatives. Of course, what she's talking about is during this transition period, the EU essentially have their foot on our throats. They, we are still fully subjugated to all their laws, whatever new legislation they want to impose upon us. So we're going to be negotiating while the EU can hang whatever sort of Damocles over us that they wish. And June's absolutely right. That seems a ridiculous position to have put ourselves in. But I do think Boris Johnson curtailing the length of that transition period is important. It does mean, however, the EU see this as an opportunity to go full-scale harmonisation on everything. They're saying, well, if you want to get this done in 11 months, then that's what you're going to have to do. Um, and that, that, of course, is the opposite of what any right-minded Brexiteer Democrat or freedom fighter would want to see happen as a result of Brexit. But there's still a lot to play for. Um, and I think that we've got to stay strong. Boris Johnson has got to be able to turn around and say, we're not happy with this, we'll walk away. And actually, with his sizable majority, he does have a strong arm right now. And Leo Varadkar the other day was saying, oh, well, you know, if you put two teams up against each other, the EU's the bigger team, they're going to win in these negotiations. He's wrong. The EU are actually burdened by having to compromise across 27 member states. It's also the most bureaucratic, glacier-paced entity that I've ever come across. And I think where the UK can be fleet of foot, it can be confident, and it can actually kick back at the EU by doing things like having contemporaneous trade negotiations with the United States. So what Alex was saying about the speed and fleet footedness of the UK is a really important point. And what Boris Johnson in doing by saying that he wants to deal done in 11 months and won't do the transition, uh, extend the transition period further, is actually quite an important move because it stops the EU from being this kind of bureaucratic monster and actually puts massive pressure on them to actually come up and like this is why these documents are floating around because they want to make a point and say actually we're we're ready these are our red lines come and meet us so i think we're going to actually have a bit of a bit of a ding dong come february when we're finally not a member state and it's two countries or a country and a trade block a political block that's uh, facing off against each other let's hope i mean my big concern is of course the eu never behaves in a democratic manner and we saw for instance during the Eurozone crisis, how they sidestepped any sort of democratic apparatus and just imposed things on countries such as Greece, countries such as Portugal, Spain, Ireland, Italy. Um, and my concern would be that they will somehow sidestep any true democratic negotiation and try and impose things on, say, for example, the City of London. They've been wanting to get a financial tra transaction tax um, between the posts for years now the so-called Tobin tax, and it's actually been battered away quite successfully by the UK, amongst others. But that's something they'll be salivating over, trying to heavily regulate the city of London to stop us being competitive. And that amounts to a huge chunk of our GDP and, and, and the backbone, really, of our economy. So that, for me, that would be the one to watch. What are they going to try and do with financial services regulation? Because while we're still in that transition period, we are, in effect apart from not in name, a full member state. So if they wanted to turn around and try and hammer us with a financial transactions tax, they could well try. Mm. I know you're going to be reluctant to be drawn on this, but what's your prediction for the end of the year? You know, are we going to leave with some sort of trade deal or do you think actually at the end of 2020 we'll be leaving on a kind of WTO term deal with the EU? We'll leave with some kind of trade deal because basically it's not in either side's interest to leave on WTO terms. I'd love to leave on WTO terms, of course. 
but I don't think Boris Johnson's going to want to do that and um, uh, really get the you know, get the backs up of huge chunks of his Conservative Party or the big business donors to the Conservative Party. And equally, the EU wouldn't want to see us sailing off into sunset completely unleashed and able to do what we want. So I, I'm pretty certain that a trade deal will happen. And frankly, it, with, with the will to do so, it should be quite easy to do, considering that the very first act of Brexit, when David Davis was the Brexit secretary, was to put into UK legislation all extant EU legislation. So we're beginning from a position of harmonisation. Normally with trade agreements, the difficulty is, you know, deciding how many inches your bananas are able to bend and <laughs> what sort of pesticides you can use and, and so on and so forth. And that stuff already exists. We've already done that because we've been a member state for 50 years. So actually saying that, oh, you know, a trade negotiation, when we were negotiating with this person, it took 10 years. Well, it's not the same. It's really not the same situation. And I think there will be political will on both sides to make sure there is a deal. The question is, is it going to be one that keeps us in the orbit um, of the EU and, and essentially shackled as a satellite state. Mm. I guess that, that kind of proves uh, the, 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 necess the necessity of you guys in whatever form it is kind of keeping the pressure on the government because, you know, like you say, I mean, even Leo Varadkar kind of earlier this week has been sort of threatening that the UK is going to have to start making concessions on areas like fishing, etc., to kind of get this deal done. Um, so although, like you're saying, kind of, you know, the first bit's done and we can have a great party at the end of January, um, the kind of sexy stuff starts in Feb and, you know, we need more pressure than ever on the government to ensure that, you know... We actually do deliver a Brexit, and like you say, don't just become a kind of weird satellite, un yeah, well, unempowered state. Less us. We're no longer MEPs, and more on poor Joe here because he's going to be the one on the ground trying <laughs> oh, to good grief. sit through press conferences and earwig on private conversations, and you know, phone up his insiders and his sources to find out what's going on. Because the EU have been very clever with the way they've sequenced this by not beginning negotiations on a future relationship until we've done the withdrawal agreements and have actually left, because it does mean that there are no eyes on what's going on. And do you know what? I think secretly they're going to miss us. Because it's a pretty <laughs> boring, sterile, pointless, turgid, miserable atmosphere. And we have brought energy, we've brought colour, we've participated in every single debate, we've done lots of speaking times, blue cards, we've asked challenging questions, but we've also had a laugh. And... Um, and I actually think when we've gone, this parliament's going to be very, very boring. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And we're going to miss you so much as well. Um, so have a, have a great last day and enjoy all the parties. Um, and thank you for taking the time to speak to us while you're, you know, maybe you should really be nursing a Barocca or something secretly um, before you go. Well, I think I'm gonna stick, some, <laughs> stick some limoncello in my lemsip later. Oh, good idea. Yeah, start the party early. Joe, you can't do that, I'm afraid. I will be working until <laughs> God knows what. Um, one last thing, actually, that I want to give a little plug to is Belinda and I use Twitter to canvas all our fellow patriots and Democrat-loving uh, Brexiteers out there um, to make a playlist for the 31st of December. So Ooh. it's on Spotify, publicly available, Belinda and Alex's Brexit Party playlist. So for people out there who are having a bit of a gig on Friday night, and I hope you do if you're a Brexiteer, you know, raise a toast, stick our playlist on. We've chosen songs that you guys have helped us put together. They're great party bangers but they're also um we think kind of relevant to the cause oh my god brilliant okay i'm going to download that playlist for the way home that sounds great banger after banger brexit banger after banger is just what this country needs right now big old brexit <laughs> banger bomb we'll have the brexit banger oh, that's, <laughs> that's brilliant thank you so much for making yourself available this morning and have a great last day <laughs> Thank you.
I mean, very interesting uh, to hear from Alex Phillips there. Incredibly husky. Paul, you want to talk about Huawei. 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 Uh, not sure how we pronounce it, but we think we'll go with Huawei. Isn't that the most interesting thing about this whole story? Like, how do we <laughs> no. say it? Like, every single person's got a different pronunciation. <laughs> it's like a new and, class uh, divide. <laughs> a joke. Can we just have your gag and get that out of the way? <laughs> oh, uh, so, so, so this part of the podcast is my way or the Huawei. Hey. Or Frank Sinatra's. <laughs> We had it out. We had it one way. <laughs> yes, um, the, I, the I God, it's even less funny the second okay. time here, no, isn't but, it? But, Je- right. right. Serious point. Benefit of people, the uninitiated. Yeah. What is the Huawei story? Uh, Huawei are um, a, a massively subsidised um, Chinese technology company who will be um, who have just been given the green light to be uh, a key player in Britain's five G network the next generation of mobile phones, basically. And a very important piece of technology is too. But um, BT have already started dismantling their uh, bits of Huawei infrastructure because they don't trust them. And uh, President Trump has said, no way is any Huawei technology ever entering Britain because it's it's so much Entering America. He doesn't want it to enter the UK, yeah. Um, and you have to say, I mean, and there's been huge, you know, accusations of Ch- the, the Chinese government basically on the company. It's an arm of the Chinese government. We should say um, though that Huawei have maintained that they're obviously independent from the they, from the government. They are, but they are massively <laughs> propped up by Chinese government money, right? And that's that's fine if that's how you want to do your your, your economic, I'm not sure your they economics. Get okay, <laughs> but the, the 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 nature of the beast is they are part of an infrastructure which will be able to monitor your mobile phone and your data just by the nature of it. And it's. it seems, I'd hate to agree with Ian Duncan Smith, but he, he said, um, it beggars belief we have a cyber war going on with China. And we're basically opening the front door to our to our data networks and saying, come on in, come on. You don't even have to bother pretending to be spies anymore. We're doing that cloak and daggery stuff that spies have done for, you know, just over the years. Just, just come on in. Have a look at my browser history. Around, do what you want. <laughs> and it just, I, you know... There are alternatives. Um, Ericsson and Nokia have got alternatives, which I think three use, and one of the others. No, oh, you get terrible phone signal from three, though. <laughs> no, you... Have <laughs> you ever it, tried to no, Instagram on there, three? There are... It, it, why would you choose uh, somebody who's clearly not a natural ally right at this moment, militarily speaking, uh, to be involved in your... Um, data and information infrastructure in the country. It's a massive deal. I, I, com- I completely agree with you. And I think, um, I guess what we should say is obviously yesterday, Dominic Robb uh, answered this question in the comments and he said that it, it, uh, Huawei will have kind of limited access to the to the 5G network and that they won't be exposed to kind of sensitive areas of our communications, uh, whatever that means. I mean, Dominic Raab doesn't know 5G from 4G. This is the guy who only realised where Calite was last year. So yeah. I'm not convinced, I'm not convinced by that argument either. No, it sounds a bit like putting a, Rottweiler in charge of a crash and saying, don't worry, they'll, they'll only have access to parts of the crash. Yes, yeah. <laughs> just doesn't Because there's a very right, flimsy you know? cling film. Yeah, yes, yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, agreed. I, uh, do you see this as a failing, failing then of, of, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. Is this kind of a failing of Boris Johnson's leadership? And is this, like you say, like kowtowing to a kind of global player? Or is there some sort of like strategic thinking here that this is about kind of like post-Brexit sovereignty? This is about us trying to... You know, embracing technology, like we we're going to need five G. I mean, it's not. It, it obviously is the internet and emails and that kind of stuff, but it's also going to be like smart high, highways, fridges. You know, we know Dominic Raab and Boris Johnson are very keen on Britain becoming this kind of yeah, uh, you that, know, that's super sexy thing. tech it, there's highway. A, there's a kind of uh, there's a sort of 
um, Boris showing off elements this. That he wants to, <laughs> you know, get ahead of the game, get ahead of the EU. But do, yeah. we, do we need 5G yesterday? Probably not, no. In the way but that we, we don't need, need NHS2 yesterday. No, we need to get on with it. But, we, but there are alternatives who are more friendly to Britain, frankly. Uh, and and you'd, why would you not use that? There's something also, you just get the feeling there's something going on behind the scenes, trade, sort of, you know, uh, backroom dealings, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But uh, none of it feels, none of it feels right at all. And, and there's a feel that, um, I mean, they, remember the Chinese have also uh, involved in two of our nuclear power stations yeah. and counting. And you kind of think, um, okay, so information infrastructure and nuclear power stations I want my government to be involved in those, not the Chinese government. I mean, we did, you know? yeah. <laughs> like, it does. I, I mean, they're, they're two big planks of what a government EU, should be doing. And right? we really you didn't know? elect anyone in the Chinese government, so I agree. Maybe and us it, having a say. For those there's a feeling that uh, for that, I bet there's, you know, for the for the Brexiteer uh, contingent, that we swapped Brussels for Beijing. Quite, you know? yeah. And, and that was not the plan. That was never the game plan. Were you surprised that uh, Boris Johnson didn't kind of like kowtow and curtail uh, to like? Trump's wishes. So we know that they've been the states and Australia have been yeah. really outspoken about getting uh, 5G, uh, Huawei yeah, involved yeah, in 5G. Absolutely. Were you surprised by that? Because I think H a lot of people thought we were going to... Because, um, you know, Donald Trump is, is adamant uh, over this issue. And um, this this what makes me think there must be something going on behind the scenes. Because, again, the optics on the other side of the Atlantic are terrible. And, in fact, let me... There was... Um, Mike Pompeo is, is over here today. Um, not to be confused with Mike Pence, which I did no. do before we came um, there. He's a former CIA director general, whatever mm. they call boss of the CIA. And what he has to say on the subject will be quite uh, instructive, I think. But there was um, one of the other American senators said, um, oh, here we, here's our special relationship. Shall I do the American accent? Yeah. Our special relationship is less special now. <laughs> That the UK has embraced a surveillance state commies at Huawei. Is that what they call <laughs> yeah. them? Surveillance state commies? That's Republican Senator from Nebraska, Ben Sass, who oh, also goodness. said, During the Cold War, Margaret Thatcher never contracted with the KGB to save a few pennies. <laughs> And I'm right oh. behind Senator Ben. We should have done this as a radio play. You could have done all the parts. Um, I mean, it's kind of nuts. But then, so obviously, we know that um, Boris Johnson called Donald Trump yesterday afternoon to let him know the yeah. Huawei decision. And we would then maybe have expected Donald Trump to have taken to Twitter to have like tweeted some like mad gifts or something about yeah, he this. Would but normally, he, wouldn't but he? Yeah. he didn't. Yeah. So maybe did Boris kind of pull a bit of a coup by kind of calming the resident of Pennsylvania Avenue down? Uh, it was surprising that he he hasn't gone nuts. Hasn't gone nuts, absolutely. I mean, he gets so, annoyed about like SNL doing skits. Yeah. You'd think kind of his closest ally in the world disobeying his one wish yeah. would have caused him to no, it, Twitter finger. That bit is very strange, but uh, I'd say there's uh, there's still more to this than meets the eye. Yeah, a, it, a bit like the coronavirus, I might add. But anyway, we'll come oh, to I've that heard later. about your theories on the coronavirus. <laughs> um, this is becoming a, a mad conspiracy podcast. <laughs> no. We're going to get knocked off the iTunes okay. charts if you carry on like this. It feels to me like you're pretty unimpressed by Boris Johnson at the moment. Uh, I'd just like to see more leadership. I can't. Uh, it, uh, he might be doing. It feels like he's just hunkered down in number ten and, and he's making cups of tea for Dominic Cummings right now. <laughs> he's definitely the one making the tea the in that relationship. <laughs> in that rela he is the you and in I, our, I, yeah. I and everyone else. I, so I'm, in all seriousness, this is a this is a, a big big moment for Britain, and it needs big big leadership, and he needs to be out front and centre, you know, displaying the kind of fantastic British qualities that we, we all you know that the we elected him courage for. and fortitude and you know yeah, um, 
and he isn't. Do you think there's an argument that he's sort of delegating in a way that I know you're you're very used to doing, um, delegating these things to more capable members of his team? So, you know, putting Dominic Raab at the forefront of the Huawei conversation um, when we had the kind of Iran issue with the assassination of Qasem Soleimani at the beginning of January, it was all about Ben Wallace, the defence secretary. Do you, is there like an argument that he's just kind of rolling out his experts? Behind as many the scenes, this, this is a very good thing to do. Find somebody who knows what they're talking about. I mean, you've made a career doing. out of it. Absolutely. But... <laughs> Politics is is largely about um, being seen to you know it's a very it's a very um, visual thing you need yeah. to be seen to be leading leading the troops or leading from the front and and behind the scenes that's absolutely fine that's exactly what you should be doing getting mm. the right civil servants and the right ministers to make the right decisions and do the right research etc cetera, etc cetera. but the boss man has got to be right at the front leading the troops mm. yeah? yeah and he ain't and he's not no. um. Talking about other bosses, people auditioning for a big job as a boss, boss, easy for me to say. Have you been paying much attention to the Labour leadership election this week? Uh, only, <laughs> only in as much as I got an email from a group called Labour Future, or Labour First, Labour Future I think they were called yesterday. And it just annoyed me because it was just a, um, it sort of typified the swivel-eyed, foaming at the mouth lunacy of parts of the Labour Movement. What did they say to you? They, they said to me, they? they said, the reason Labour lost the election was not that they had the lamest candidate in their party's history, but because the newspapers all got together in a smoky room mm. and said, we'll all say this, shall we? Oh. And I'm here to tell you, newspapers have never done that and never will. It's no. just swivel-eyed lunacy and it just annoyed me. Oh, so they're was, blaming the mainstream it, it media. Was, it was a conspiracy theory. And, inst- and again, and this is what annoys me about the party, they, instead of looking at themselves and saying, oh my God, we didn't chime with any part of Britain, did we? We need to look at ourselves, find out what works and do that. Mm. They're still sat there sort of, you know, in, in, in navel-gazing and yeah. blaming everybody else. Yeah. You know? Do you find it... I mean, I know, th- I know there's sort of like a convention for this, but it also feels pretty pointless. I'm just thinking in a few, in about like an hour and a half's time, it's going to be PMQs. Yeah. And we've still got Jeremy Corbyn, this, the, the, the <laughs> victim of this vast media conspiracy going up against Boris Johnson. I mean, this just it feels completely like a complete waste of time. Like, Jeremy Corbyn doesn't care. He wants to go back to sort of handing out leaflets yeah. about Venezuela or whatever that vivid image was you used last <laughs> week. Um, <laughs> like, it just feels like this whole kind of, this parliamentary mechanism doesn't work to have the outgoing leader supposedly holding the government to account. Yeah, the, only, the only person that benefits is Boris. Why? And, and uh, you know, I'm sure he's thinking, well, long may that continue. Yeah. Uh, the longer we get Jeremy facing me or not facing me, it's like, you know... Yeah, so these big issues today about Huawei, uh, the unresolved um, HS2, Brexit, there's enough stuff to fill a pretty punchy PMQs, but I'm not not convinced that Jeremy Corbyn's doing the best Uh, job. There's a a feeling that um, Jeremy particularly, but also other members of the Labour Party, are happy being in opposition. They're happiest being Mm. in opposition because they haven't got the guts to get on. It's It's like being a football fan on the terraces and... Shouting abuse from the from from the terraces, which we love to do because it's good fun, but <laughs> not, not but we haven't got the skill or the guts to pull on a pair of boots and have a run out, right? right. You know, and it, it's that sort of thing. You just think, 
it feels like they're happy being in opposition and, and that's just not good enough. Mm. But, and, and if they have that mindset, they will remain in opposition forever and it was, ever. I mean, that's so interesting that you say that because I feel like Jess Phillips kind of dropped out of that right race, didn't she? Because she was sort of pilloried for suggesting that the Labour Party might want to win an election and that to do that, they're going to have to win back some Tory seats. Like yeah. the, the, the only work, the only kind of reasonable theory or workable conversation they've had about winning an election was by the woman who was forced to drop out because yeah. she had the audacity to say it. I think you've kind of got a point well, there, yeah. How many, how many times have you heard all, a lot of the leader contenders saying we don't want to go back to the bad old days of Tony so Blair? Yeah. What was it, three elections? bloke who was actually <laughs> Prime Minister. But yeah. just, it's, you couldn't make it up. It's the audacity of winning elections. Yeah. It's yeah. very depressing. Yeah. Um, did you want to touch on the royals, darling? Only to say that I, I've decided, having... I said last week that it would be a three-day wonder, and it's a bit more than a three-day wonder, but they have sort of been knocked off the front page and we're all sort of getting on with our lives. Oh, Megs and Harry are you talking yeah. about. Um, but I, was, uh, I, I, just wanted to <laughs> I just wanted to say that I think, it's, I think we should get behind them and, and their efforts to get off benefits and get back into work. Because <laughs> I think we can all applaud that and oh. we should do it. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to say something sort of nice about them. <laughs> You'd previously said that we're going to lose their sparkle. We are, we'll... I know, but, but I just thought about it. It's basically they are just getting off benefits and getting back into work, aren't they? As Which a I think we can all applaud. We would all applaud. Yeah. Get on your bike. Who was it yeah. said that? Was that Ian Duncan? Uh, that was Tebbit. Oh, Tebbit. Yep. Yep. Um, if you were as a careers guidance counsellor, and I know you sort of see yourself as... Um, Clearly. I was called a mentor, a mentor this week. Yeah, by who? I'll, I'll okay, never know. Sorry, I can't reveal my source. Yeah, funny that. Um, as a mentor, what would you advise Harry and Meghan turn their attention to? <laughs> and like, where are their skills? Where would? Where? Uh, it's very difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, it, my, my guess is, if most of us had the amount of cash they had in the bank... Mm, we 24 mil and counting, right? We, we wouldn't be thinking, oh... God, how can I be financially independent? When will I ever be financially independent? I've only got 24 million in cash in the bank. And, it, uh, you know, the smallest violins in the world are coming out, really. But uh, she could probably go back to acting, I guess. But can she go back to acting? Well, she's, she's pulled herself away from the royal family, so she's, um, she's entitled to do what she wants now, isn't she? Yeah. Really? Whether oh, you so like it or not. You think really? back on sort of coming to Netflix near you sometime soon? It would be interesting, wouldn't it? Maybe... Um, Maybe a proper version of The Crown. Stop it. <laughs> what, like a reality? Keeping <laughs> up with The Crown. Yeah. <laughs> they could do that. Yeah, I am curious about yeah. what they'll do next. Because they, they want to make big old money, don't they? Like, they're not happy with this 24 mil. They want to no, they want to add some zeros. So I, I'm curious can as I, to what I, they're can I, doing. Can I, add a, can I add a relevant yeah. MEP token then, please? Yes, absolutely. They should become MEPs and if they want to make lots of money. <laughs> not that <they> <laughs> 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 Too late though. Wait for Canada to join. Yeah, wait for Canada to join. Exactly. Um, Joe, wait, before we wrap, is there anything you wanted to add as you as you sit in the bar waiting for the parties and the festivities to begin? No, we're waiting for the party to start. Um, it's going to be a big one. Um, but it's all going to kind of looking on to on to on to next week, and that's when negotiations kind of can get ready to kick off. Yeah, I'm issuing the warning now. This podcast is going to get pretty serious. After, like this is the last fun one we're ever going to get to oh. do because from now on it's going to be the nitty gritty of trade uh. agreements. So you're going to have to do what a bit more prep. Re- what are we going to rebrand? What are we going to rebrand those? We're not rebranding. Brexit's a journey. Babe. And I'm st- yeah. we're still. It's, we're not, it's not a destination. It's Joe. not a destination. So will you be working into the wee small hours tonight, Joe? I have a feeling, yes, um, that, that we will be kind of chasing down some kind of lavish champagne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dirty job, um, but someone's got to do it, right? That's what yeah, you were doing last night. <laughs> we, will, we, will, we will make sure that kind of everything 
um, is covered and as Britain's depart the EU for the last time. Yeah. Significant day, whether they like it or not. This yeah, is big. This is a big, big old deal big for this yeah, great country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for uh, dialing in. Thanks, Paul, Paul, thank you for keeping that all no worries, as catch, calm catch as you managed. Oh, I, thank you. I know yes. you're a little I took angry. A valium at the before I came. Yeah, I can be very <laughs> serene, like being in a spa. Um, and we will convene <laughs> no, next week. We will convene next week for a very serious trade yeah. podcast. Out of the EU. Out of the, the first EU. One. Miss you already. <laughs> Well done for making it to the end of an episode of Brexit, The Final Countdown. If you're still enjoying The Countdown, you can subscribe for free. And if you're really enjoying The Countdown, you can also leave us a review.